So verse one, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promises made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and all those who journeyed with me. And we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among them who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your own mind. But Paul said, 
I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me in this day might, because, might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Thank you. Thank you very much for reading for us, Anthony. Um, please do keep that scripture passage open. We're kind of getting an overview of 25 and 26. Um, but uh, before we do, let's uh, turn to the Lord and ask for his help. Let's pray. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this chance to turn to your word. Thank you for these uh, events recorded in Acts and also for your spirit-inspired account of them. And Lord, we pray that as we consider these things together, you would be with us, that you would strengthen us, that you'd give us grace to endure whatever trials it is that we may be facing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if these names are familiar to you. Uh, uh, Bowser, Akuma, Dr. Robotnik. What do all those names have in common? Well, those are the best-known big bosses from video games in the 1990s. There's a few looks of familiarity. Most of you perhaps are just glazing over. Uh, now, Bowser was from Super Mario 64, um, Akuma from Street Fighter 2, I believe, and uh, Dr. Ivo Eggman Robotnik was the guy that you had to defeat at the end of Sonic. Now, some of you are feeling nostalgic, some of you are wondering what I'm talking about, although I do believe that these games are making a comeback, uh, thankfully. Now, this used to be a common thing in video games, that um, at the end of each level, there was some sort of boss, some kind of bad guy that you had to defeat, and uh, before you could move on, you had to crush him or whatever it was, and, and this was before the days of the internet, so you couldn't just watch YouTube videos to see how it was you defeated him. Well, the Apostle Paul, why do I say all of that? The Apostle Paul is not in a video game. He's very much in real life. And yet his real-life experience seems to parallel that, uh, that gaming experience, except there is a lot more real pain and suffering and potential discouragement. Now, ever since Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul has been arrested and has been facing a series of discouraging, escalating, and unjust trials. Now, we use the word trials metaphorically in the Christian life to describe the difficult things we face, but Paul has been facing trials literally. In chapter 21, he was arrested by the Roman commander during a riot, and then he faces trial again and again for the same crime. You perhaps wonder what happens to double jeopardy. And these trials are all unjust. How do I know that? Well, at the very beginning and at the very end, we have clear statements by those in authority as to Paul's innocence. And these trials definitely escalate. They go from bad to worse. He firstly faces trial before a religious court, the Jewish Sanhedrin. Um, having survived that, he moves on to the next level. Um, he 
survives an assassination attempt only to be tried by the governor of Rome, um, the Roman governor of the region, Felix. And despite being found innocent, he's left rotting in prison for another two years. And at the start of our passage in chapter 25, there is potential for hope. There's a change of administration. And so you might wonder, is there going to be a change of policy towards Paul? Festus takes over from Felix, and yet things don't seem to get any better. Wanting to appease the Jews, Festus tries Paul again, uh, and uh, seeing the writing on the wall, Paul uh, takes really the only option available to him. He he takes things even higher. He appeals to the supreme court of the day. Uh, He appeals to Caesar. Uh, But even before that, uh, there is a big boss man that he has to defeat. Uh, Before Paul can even get to Rome, Festus has a visit, uh, a providential visit from this Jewish king, King Agrippa. And do you see why I say it is in some ways like a video game? There's just this escalating series of unjust trials that the Paul faces when it seems that he's defeated one, someone bigger and badder stands before him and he has to defend his position once again. It must have been incredibly discouraging for Paul if you put himself, uh, you put yourself in his shoes. And it must have been inca- incredibly discouraging for the church. I mean, this was, uh, this was one of the big leaders of the church. Uh, Every new level brought with it new uh, risks, uh, a new level of danger, not just for Paul, but even for the cause of fellow Christians. Uh, Would Christianity be outlawed by Rome? Or or would they treat it as just some other sect, some sort of offshoot of Judaism? It it might not seem this way as we read the details of the trials, but this is is nail-biting stuff. More than that, as I said, put yourself in Paul's shoes, and and it must have been so discouraging. I mean, he's innocent. And yet he's sent back to prison again and again and again, just spending another couple of years waiting for a trial. And when he survived that one, well, you're put back in line, back to the back of the line, and and perhaps to face even more serious consequences. Uh, Maybe you can even identify with Paul in this sense, or at least you can relate to how he must have felt. Uh, A discouraging series of escalating and unjust trials. Uh, Does that not often describe your own life experience? Most of us, thankfully, will not face literal trials like Paul. Uh, But we do face our faith tried every day. Uh, Tried by difficult circumstances. Uh, Circumstances with our health, with our home life, with our work, with our our other challenging experiences. Uh, Trials that feel unjust. Uh, Trials that cause us to ask, what have I done to to possibly deserve this? Uh, sure, we tell ourselves we're sinners, we deserve to go to hell, but, but are we not justified sinners? Aren't we right with God through Christ? So why is this happening to us? Uh, why is God allowing these things to happen to one of his beloved children, even to somebody who's a leader within the church? Uh, trials that discourage us, especially when they seem to go from bad to worse. Uh, trials that cause us to question. Uh, after all, that's the real trial for Paul, surely, is it not? Uh, can he continue to trust God through all of this? Can he rest in God's power to work all things together for good? I mean, I think this is it's quite ironic in some sense. It's only a couple of years earlier that Paul wrote those very words in Romans chapter 8, 28. And now he has a, a real-life opportunity uh, once again to apply them. Uh, Paul was not superhuman. We shouldn't forget this. He was just a man like us. And, and so it, it must have been very easy for him to get very discouraged about his circumstances. 
And yet, what I want to highlight today is the fact that Paul survives. He survives uh, this series of trials with his faith intact. Uh, More than that, he appears to actually thrive through it, and his life and ministry actually moves forward rather than backward as a result. And the same can be true of, uh, of each of us. It can be true of me. It can be true of you. Uh, you see, the trials that Paul faces don't get in the way of God's plan for him. Uh, no, these trials are, in fact, the way that God is moving those plans forward for him and through him. And to help us see that, we're going to consider three things. Uh, three things that God enables Paul to do amid these discouraging, escalating, unjust trials. Uh, firstly, uh, amid these trials, God helps Paul fulfill God's mission, to fulfill God's mission. And secondly, uh, amid these trials, uh, he enables Paul to be faithful to God's message, uh, to be faithful to God's message. And then thirdly, he can do all of these things. He can fulfill God's mission. He can be faithful to God's message. Why? Well, through faith in God's Messiah, through faith in God's promised King. Uh, he trusts the risen Christ, uh, who even through Paul uh, can exp- uh, even uh, through trusting Christ, Paul can experience uh, this this power of God at work, even in the midst of suffering. Uh, Paul demonstrates and also learns that Christ is completely and utterly trustworthy. And so, first, let's consider uh, how, amid these trials, God enables Paul to fulfill. Uh, God's mission. He fulfills God's mission. Uh, That is to say, despite outward appearances, even when it seems that Paul may have failed, uh, all of this is God's plan for Paul. This is God's plans moving forward, not backward. In fact, this is exactly what God God called Paul to do. Uh, We see this from the very moment that Paul describes in this passage, that very moment uh, when God appeared to him uh, on the road to Damascus. If you turn back to me, back with me to Acts chapter nine, um, Acts chapter nine, uh, then you'll see uh, these words of commission given to Paul in Acts chapter nine, verse fifteen, uh, describing Paul to Ananias. Uh, look at what the Lord says in verse fifteen. Uh, but the Lord said to Ananias, "Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel." For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And now amid these trials, uh, what is Paul doing? Well, he's actually fulfilling these words that were spoken at those many years earlier. Uh, Not just in his suffering, but also in what he does in the middle of that suffering. Uh, Truly, he's carrying the name of Christ before Gentiles. He's carrying the name of Christ before Roman governors. He's, He's carrying the name of Christ before kings. He's proclaiming the gospel to the world, uh, uh, both the lost world out there, but also the lost sheep of Israel. And in that sense, Paul's trials are his success. Uh, and the same, in one sense, can be true of us, that although uh, it seems as if we, uh, our own expectations of God's work might be defied by what we're experiencing, uh, we find that God can actually fulfill his promises and, and use those trials to accomplish his purposes. Uh, do, we expect, do we expect following Christ to lead us out of trials. Often we do, don't we? Uh, And if we do, I'm I'm, I'm not sure why, because Jesus made it clear, didn't he, uh, that following him meant taking up our cross. Uh, Following him often leads us into suffering rather than away from it. And that is because God's plan for our lives is much bigger than our temporary comfort. 
His plan for us is like his plan for Paul in this sense. His plan is to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. Uh, more than that, his, his purpose goes beyond transforming us. His purpose includes using us to draw uh, to himself others. Uh, his purpose includes uh, using us as his witnesses in his world. Uh, his plan includes us pointing others to Christ through our words, through our deeds, and often he does that, uh, very often he does that in the midst of our suffering. Uh, through our trials, he trains us, he equips us for that work. And very often it's, it's those trials themselves that present a kind of stage, a platform uh, before a watching world that, uh, that allows us to demonstrate what it means to have faith in the living Lord Jesus. That uh, trials can feel like a distraction, a diversion, uh, something off the main plot of life. And yet we find, in fact, that's not the case. These trials are, in fact, God's course. They are God's plan. They are part of God's intended journey for us. Uh, take, for example, Paul's ambitions to go to visit Rome. Uh, ever since uh, chapter 19, Paul has wanted to go there. That's been the ultimate destination of his journey. Uh, back in chapter 23, Jesus meets with him and confirms that is what God had planned. Uh, now, I'm sure Paul had a very different route to Rome in mind than the one that God had planned. And yet we find this is how Paul ends up in Rome as a result of these, these unjust trials this, that escalate eventually with this appeal to Caesar. Uh, through Felix to Festus to Agrippa, Paul ends up preaching the gospel before uh, the very uh, court of the empire, Caesar. Uh, the trials, as unjust and as discouraging as they are, are, are how Paul gets to Rome. That's the point that I'm making. And so returning to that video game analogy for a moment, uh, as he survives each trial, he is actually moving forward. From an outward perspective, it seems as if Paul's, Paul's legal battles are just getting harder and harder, and yet God's purposes are, in fact, moving forward. Uh, and listen, once we begin to see this, once we understand this is how God's work, uh, God works, I think in some ways it, it can change everything. Uh, it can allow us, rather than to complain about our trials, rather than just simply trying to escape them, it, it can allow us to embrace them in some sense as a part of God's sovereign and good purpose. Uh, rather than focusing on the injustice of our situation, uh, we can focus instead on God's faithfulness. Uh, we can start to echo the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who, uh, when he was faced with his own trials, what did he pray? Well, he prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And that is exactly what we want to pray. Uh, but then he went on, yet not my will, but your will be done. Uh, in other words, knowing what lay ahead, he entrusted himself into the hands of his loving heavenly Father. Uh, by the grace of God, we can do exactly the same thing. Uh, rather than dwell on how th things seem to be getting worse, we can recognize that God is in control. Uh, we can recognize that while suffering often sidelines our plans, it, it never sidelines the plans of the God who loved us and made us. Uh, no, the trials we face are his way of moving those plans and his plans forward for us. Uh, and even as we wait for God to remove certain trials, uh, we will focus on the present like Paul. In fact, this is an amazing thing, isn't it? Even, even amid these trials, it's as if Paul, uh, Paul is able to look at the present and in the midst of, of what is going on, he will not miss a God-given opportunity. Uh, the opportunity to point friends and family and neighbors to Christ. Uh, the opportunity, even as you suffer, to encourage others. 
Uh, the opportunity to grow in grace as God refines us and transforms us and makes us more like Christ. Uh, by his grace, uh, this is the point, by his grace, God will help us fulfill his mission even amid trials and suffering. In fact, he accomplishes his plan even through that suffering. Uh, but secondly, notice how the risen Lord also helps Paul remain faithful to God's message. He fulfills God's mission, but he's faithful to God's message. In fact, this surely is one of the main ways that, that Paul fulfills God's mission for him. Uh, no matter the trial, Paul, uh, we see, faithfully proclaims Christ. Uh, he doesn't back down. He doesn't water the message down. Uh, never once does Paul twist or compromise the integrity of the gospel. Uh, now, to do so might have worked to his advantage, uh, wouldn't it? I mean, consider this. Uh, as the trials escalate, uh, Paul has various opportunities, various opportunities to, to escape. Back in chapter 24, we read that, that Felix was hoping that Paul would pay him off with a bribe. He kept him in prison long enough until hopefully the money would start flowing. On various occasions, Paul could have made life a lot easier for himself by, by dialing it back a bit, by softening what he said about Jesus. He could have toned down the Jesus stuff. He could have stopped talking nonsense. That's what Felix thinks he's doing when he talks about the resurrection. Uh, we feel the same pressure in our own time, do we not? at the pressure of pluralism. Uh, why not just treat Jesus like one, one, one religious guru amongst many? And maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Maybe this idea of the resurrection is just a spiritual thing. It's, it's a myth. It's a picture of new life that God can give to his people. Uh, why continue to hold on to the lordship of Christ? Why submit to what his word says about the way we use our bodies or the way we use our money? Uh, this reminds us that not only do we face trials uh, in light of, despite our faith, we often face trials because of our faith, don't we? Uh, your commitment to Christ can make you unpopular at school. It, it can create hardships in the workplace. It can put you at odds with certain family members that you're close to. Uh, maybe it's the pressure of the culture as a whole uh, that you feel. Uh, I was talking just earlier to a couple who were getting married and we were discussing just the differences, the, the, the perspective on marriage as it, as it contrasts with our culture. And being faithful to God's word so often means swimming against the tides. Uh, and at times I think we have this feeling that, that we just can't take it any longer. Uh, there is only so much peer pressure we can take before we cave. Uh, and yet here is Paul facing all of the pressure in the world, all of the pressure of the Roman courts, of the Roman Empire. I mean, Paul is standing before some pretty powerful and influential people, isn't he? Uh, Paul is here trial after trial after trial, and yet he doesn't hold back from proclaiming the faith. No, in one sense, I love this, Paul actually ramps it up. In fact, Acts chapter 26 is, 26 is I think, extraordinary for this exact reason. In one sense, Paul is in one of the most vulnerable positions he's in in his life here. And yet we find here one of the clearest and most unapologetic proclamations of the gospel. Uh, Paul doesn't hold back. He's bold. He's confident. Speaking to the king in chapter 26, verse 6, Paul asserts that his message is the fulfillment of everything that was spoken before through the prophets. And then he goes on to share his own experience. Uh, we've, we've seen this before. Paul keeps coming back to this, uh, to his own experience of God's power, of the risen Christ, his own conversion. On the Damascus road, he met the risen Christ and looked down at verse 26 and verse 16. Uh, listen to the commission that the risen Christ gave to him. Really, it's this commission that, that opens up to us the message, the message of the gospel. In verse 16, 
Jesus says this to Paul, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the thing in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And listen to what God is sending Paul to do. Listen to how the gospel itself comes out so clearly. Uh, Paul is being sent to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified through faith in me. And now here we get at least three word pictures to describe the gospel, don't we? Uh, First, we see this contrast between between light and darkness. Uh, Darkness is a very powerful image. It's one that's used in almost every culture of the world. Darkness can symbolize ignorance. It can symbolize evil. It can symbolize hopelessness and despair. And in the scriptures, it represents all of these things and more since darkness represents God's judgment, uh, God's uh, God's just judgment, sorry, uh, his just judgment against sinners. Uh, And ever since the beginning of the world, humanity has been under a dark cloud, a dark cloud of the wrath of God because of our rebellion. As rebels against God and his love, what Jesus says to Paul is that apart from him, the world lies in in abject darkness. And what Paul is called to do is to turn people from darkness to the light of Christ. Or to put that another way, he's to turn people uh, from the power of Satan to God. You see, even on on, on this uh, July 4th weekend, it's good to remember that apart from Christ, all people, all people are oppressed. Uh, They're oppressed not not by the British government, but now they're oppressed by the power of Satan. Uh, Apart from Christ, all people are slaves. Uh, They're helplessly in bondage to the dark forces of evil. Uh, And Satan is a real creature, a creature of God for sure, but also a powerful, crafty creature uh, set on destroying people. Uh, And scripture is clear about this. When humanity turns from God, Uh, Where do we go? Well, we walk uh, right into Satan's hands. Uh, And you see, this is the devil's big lie, isn't it? It was the big lie in the garden, and it's the very same lie today. But we feel that if we turn from God, what we're going to experience is freedom. And yet the last thing we experience is freedom. Uh, We experience bondage. We experience darkness. We live under the power of Satan. Uh, That lie continues today. People want to live however they want because they think it will make them free. But it is a lie. Uh, At least it's a lie according to the Lord Jesus. Uh, There is no freedom apart from Christ, only tyranny, the tyranny of sin, the tyranny of Satan. And so Paul is called to lead people from darkness to light, from Satan to God. And here is the heart of it. Look at how he describes uh, what he's called to do in verse 18. Look at how verse 18 continues. Uh, That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified through faith in me you see the big problem the thing that keeps us in darkness and in satan's grip is this it is our sin and what is sin well sin is basically rebellion and sin isn't just the bad things the naughty things the fun things we do and no fundamentally sin is an act of high treason it is to claim the throne of god for ourselves Uh, You see, it is God who made us and loved us, who loves us enough to make us for a relationship with him. And yet from our earliest days, despite that love, uh, humanity, you and me, all of us have lived in open rebellion against him. 
And this is what brings all of the darkness into our lives, all the darkness into the world. It is this rebellion that puts us into spiritual slavery to Satan. Uh, But Jesus came to bring us into the light. He came to set us free. He came to undo the works of the devil. He came to do this by forgiving our sins, uh, dealing with our past, and, and making a new and better future possible. Giving us a place among those who are sanctified, that is, those who are holy, those who belong to God, those who are God's children. And how does Jesus do this? Well, the answer's there in verse 23. He did it through his death. He did it through his resurrection. Uh, This is what the the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, verse 23, that the Christ must, the Christ must suffer, uh, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Uh, This is the gospel message. This is the message of hope. Jesus will bring you from darkness to light, from Satan to God, and he alone can do it because through the cross, he alone can bring you forgiveness and make you a child of God. And so you must believe in him, trust in him, turn to him today. And yet what I want you to see is this, this amazing thing. As Paul uh, shares all of this, do you realize who Paul is speaking to? Uh, back in chapter, five, uh, chapter 25, verse 23, we're told. Uh, look at, back at Acts chapter 25, verse 23, and, uh, and look at who is out there in Paul's audience. Uh, so the next day, Agrippa, that is the king, and Bernice, uh, the king's sister, uh, came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And here are gathered before Paul, all of the great and the good, from from government officials to kings, to military commanders, from business owners to the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And they're all gathered around. It must have been, when you think about it for a moment, imagine this group. You might have felt a little bit intimidated, might you? And yet, does Paul shrink back? No, he doesn't. But in powerful ways, with a new power, he is exceptionally bold. Uh, You, he says to these great leaders, you, even you, are in darkness. Uh, You, as powerful as you seem, he says, you are under the power of Satan. And he even challenges King Agrippa in verse 27, how bold. Don't you believe all of this? Don't you believe the prophets? Uh, When challenged, this is what he says uh, to this great group of people. He says, this is my hope. This is my prayer that all of you, all of you might become as I am except these chains. Uh, Here is Paul basically calling all of these powerful people at this very moment to become Christians. And what I'm saying really is this, that he fulfills his mission in this, that no matter the cost, Paul is faithful to proclaiming God's message. And is this not a challenge for us to do the same? Uh, Don't we often find ourselves cowering before a far less intimidating audience? And yet, if God can enable Paul to stand firm, uh, can he not do the same for us? If God can strengthen Paul to be faithful standing before the king, uh, can't God help us be faithful in standing for Christ before a godless culture? Uh, This should be one of our main prayers, shouldn't it? Our main desires as we face the trials we face in life. Uh, Not only that we'll survive, uh, and that is a good prayer to pray, but also that amid that we would thrive and amid that also be faithful and more than that we should pray that through our trials we'd be faithful particularly in this that God would help us amid those trials to continue to faithfully proclaim the life-changing message of the Lord Jesus that we should pray that God might use us 
uh, and even our trials to bring people from darkness to light, from Satan to God, so that they might experience the gift, the greatest gift of forgiveness. Uh, Amid our trials, may God help us to fulfill his mission by faithfully proclaiming his glorious message. Uh, But before we close, we have to ask how. Uh, How on earth can we do that? Uh, How can Paul do this? How can he remain steadfast? Uh, How can we as individuals, as a church, remain faithful to the message of Christ? Uh, How can we stick to our guns? How can we be bold even even when we find uh, life itself can be very discouraging? Well, that brings us to the final point. Uh, Paul is enduring this discouraging, escalating series of unjust trials. So how does he fulfill God's mission? How does he remain faithful to God's message uh, amid them? Uh, Well, he does this very simply. He does it through faith in God's Messiah, through faith in God's Messiah. Uh, And the point here is this. Not only is the gospel a call to faith in Christ, also the gospel is proclaimed by faith in Jesus Christ also. In other words, it's only through the power of the risen Christ that we can endure. Uh, He he alone needs to be our strength, our hope, our confidence. Uh, Only through faith in him can we ever hope to do anything at all. Uh, And this this very thing comes out in Paul's defense, doesn't it? Even as he stands there and testifies to Christ, listen to what he says in chapter 26, verse 22. Uh, Chapter 26, verse 22. Uh, To this day, he says, I've had the help that comes from God. Uh, And so I stand here testifying to both small and great. How can Paul address this audience? Well, with the help that comes from God and with that help alone. It is this help that comes from God that has been with Paul from the start. And it is is this help that comes from God that that will help us today. Uh, This help, of course, comes to us through Christ, uh, through Christ alone. Uh, Because what Paul says in this message is true. Christ does bring us from darkness to light. Christ does bring us from Satan to God. Christ does forgive our sins. And Christ is the risen and exalted Savior. He rules on the throne. And so we find that behind Paul and through Paul, uh, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is at work. Uh, Through his providence, he's organizing Paul's circumstances, getting him where he wants him to be. He's helping Paul fulfill his mission of bringing the gospel before kings and ultimately all the way to Rome. He's helping Paul remain faithful to the message, sustaining him amid all of these accusations of sedition or madness, as it was in the case of Festus, giving him strength to persevere through trials, even when those trials are unjust, even when they escalate, even when they appear to be so discouraging. Now, you might have heard of uh, the perpetual motion machine. It is a concept, a concept uh, which, due to the laws of thermodynamics, is unfortunately scientifically impossible. Uh, The idea is to create a machine that that will somehow continually and perpetually run under its own steam. Wind it up once, and it will continue forever. Now, if you ever came up with such a thing, would that not solve all of the world's energy problems? But while it is impossible in the realm of physics, in one sense, what we learn in Acts is that the gospel itself is like this. It is a spiritual, perpetual motion machine. The gospel runs under its own steam. Preach the gospel of the risen Christ. And and what is it that keeps you going? Well, it is the gospel of the risen Christ. The good news is, is better than Duracell, it seems. It just keeps going and going and going. And that is only possible because it's true. 
It's possible because Jesus Christ is risen and exalted. And this, I guess, is where the analogy breaks down because it isn't the gospel itself in one sense that empowers preaching the gospel. No, it is the one the gospel is about, the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who helps Paul. He is the one who even draws alongside Paul and speaks encouraging words to him amidst his discouragement. It is him who even comes to us today through his word uh, that we read in the scriptures that we're speaking of right now. And listen, Jesus Christ is alive today, and he can help and empower us also, can't he? Uh, Listen, just as we said at the start, all of us face trials. We often face unjust trials. We often face trials that seem to escalate, getting worse rather than better. Uh, We face trials that challenge us, that discourage our faith, that often cause us to question God. Uh, And yet, we need to consider, even amid that, what God shows us through Paul and his trials in the Scriptures. He reminds us that Jesus Christ is on the throne. He reminds us that that rather than moving things backwards, even those trials are moving his plans forward. And he gives us a picture of what that looks like. Uh, And this is what it looks like. It looks like uh, Christ's resurrection power enabling us, even amid our trials, to fulfill God's mission. It looks like God helping us, even amid our trials, remain faithful to God's message. And all of this is possible only through faith in God's risen and exalted Messiah, our living Lord Jesus. Let's turn to him now in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your sustaining grace. Uh, We thank you so much that that in your love and grace for us, you uh, don't just save us and leave us alone, but each and every day you you strengthen and encourage us. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that you're sovereign over over everything in our lives, you're sovereign over whatever trials and challenges we face. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us amid those things to be involved in your great mission, your great plan, and moving it forward. And help us, Lord, uh, as individuals, as a church, as families, to remain faithful to your message of Jesus Christ. Help us to cling to the hope of the gospel. And thank you that all of this is possible only because our Lord is on the throne, because Jesus Christ, having died for our sins, is risen and exalted. And so we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith in him, even as we pray this in his name. Amen.